For years, I was so fed up with shampoo, I just stopped washing my hair. I quit completely. I was so sick of poofy, frizzy, limp hair, distorting my natural oils. Until a few months ago, I found Modern Mammals, and it changed everything. And by the way, right now you can visit modernmammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. So check that out. So look, I heard about this through the podcast, and before I agreed to advertise, they sent it to me, and I was reluctant. But let me tell you, I should not have been. This stuff is absolutely magical. My hair felt better, smelled way better, and most importantly, looked better. And I know it will do the same for you as well. It doesn't have those hair-ruining chemicals like other products, and it doesn't leave any leftover residues. It works. Don't believe me? Go read their awesome reviews online as well. Go to ModernMammals.com and use code LSS for 10% off. Again, that's ModernMammals.com for 10% off with promo code LSS. Don't forget to use our promo code LSS so they know we sent you. Welcome back to yet another episode of my podcast, Lead Singer Syndrome. I'm your host, Shane Told. Like every week, but not like every week, we have one of my favorite singers of all time. I am really, really excited to finally bring you my episode with Jim Atkins of Jimmy Eat World. Wow. This is awesome. This is cool. This is a dream. When I first started this thing, this is one of those episodes that, you know, you dream about. So this was really, really cool. And Jim being such a sweetheart made it even better. I want to thank him so much for doing this thing. Yes, this is an awesome episode. Before we get into that, I want to thank you so much for tuning in once again. Or if it's your first time, welcome We've got like 220 other episodes to check out. You might have some free time on your hands. I don't know. What's happening with me though is I have so much free time that I'm just kind of agreeing to everything. I'm doing everything. I'm watching all this stuff. Like it's amazing how full your plate can get. Um, You know, even though it's a big plate, it's full of things. So. I don't know. I'm getting a little more comfortable with the situation, which I don't know if that's good or bad, but hey, you know, it is what it is. We can't do much about it. Say la vie. Hey, if you want to help out the show, there's a couple ways you can do that. The first way is just to tell somebody about this thing. Go on social media. Say you listen to the new episode with Jim Atkins. Tag me on social media at Shane Told or at Lead Singer Sin, S-Y-N, or at Lead Singer Syndrome, depending on your platform. So do that. And then if you really, really want to help out and maybe 
quarantine has gotten the better of you and you've listened to all 200 and whatever episodes of this podcast there are and you want more content, well, if you do want more content, if you do want more interaction with me, interaction with other fans of the show, Lead Singer Syndrome merchandise, all kinds of stuff, check out the Lead Singer Syndrome All Access Club. For as little as six bucks a month, that gets you in and it's what keeps this show going every week like clockwork for free the link to check it out is leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access and yes that is really really important to keeping this thing you know going now for what has it been four and a half years that is wild so shout out to all my sinners worldwide especially those from rhode island there are two I was wrong. We already had a sinner from Rhode Island, and he was upset that I forgot about him. But hey, Daniel, I'm very sorry. But hey, we've got two sinners from Rhode Island, the great state. And he was also mad that I called Rhode Islanders roadies. I don't know. You know, roadies, like a guy that carries equipment, if you could say that. I don't know. Hey, whatever. Anyway, I don't want to waste any more time. Let's get into it. My conversation with Jim Atkins of Jimmy Eat World. If you're listening, whoa. Sing it back and forth. Jim, what's up, man? Oh, you know, just kicking it. <laughs> yeah, just kicking it. That's uh, what we're all doing these days. Yeah, it's, there's no shortage of kicking it. <laughs> um, yeah, it was a story I called you before. Um, we got the times mixed up, and this is an Arizona problem. No, this is an everyone else problem. <laughs> I love that answer. Yeah, I mean, it, it is the one time zone, or maybe there's another one, I mean, another state. Uh, it's the one state that never changes times. That must be a problem for you on an ongoing basis with interviews and stuff. Is that right? Or usually gets uh, figured out? Yeah. You know, sometimes like, you know, there's um there's a little bit of math that has to happen sometimes, <laughs> but it's, it's not like, um, it's not the most taxing thing. Right. <laughs> for some people, it could be a problem. Yes. Um, yes. Really. But I do, I do appreciate your time. So you're home right now, I assume just chilling, like you've got a family and stuff. What what are you doing these days? Are you like already writing a new Jimmy Eat World record? What's what's going on? Yeah, you know, it's it's a uh, we were about to go on tour. Yeah. To do I saw that. to do Yeah, so we were about to have um some we were we were really excited too because we we were about to go to um the Philippines. Yeah. And and do our first gig in in uh, Manila ever and Oh, you've never you been there. Go, oh, what a place. No. My band was just there in January. Yeah, you you guys got there just right under the under the wire then before everything broke open. Yeah, you know it's funny. We were there um and while we were on stage playing, a volcano erupted. Uh, oh, right. Yeah. Did you hear about that? Yeah, a lot of people yeah, I heard about it. It didn't get a lot of news coverage in in the states, but yeah, it was like 30 miles south of Manila and they were saying like we can't get out 
um, you know, because like airplanes can't fly through the the ash or whatever in the in the air. So we we had to go to uh, we were supposed to go to Hawaii, and we couldn't get out. So we were stuck in Manila for like four days, and they were telling us it was going to be that it could have been like weeks before we were able yeah. to fly out, and we weren't supposed to go outside. This is so funny because this is like such a pre you know. A, a prelude to what is going on now and we had to you know they gave us masks and everything to wear if we were going to go outside so it's funny i still have my mask <laughs> so it's uh but yeah we got in just just under under you know everything else and we were in the middle of a tour and it got canceled before uh you know right yeah. in the middle of our tour so it sucks i know i know a lot of people who were on the road and everything fell apart for them yeah i guess it that's one silver lining is that you you know, you, it happened before you guys actually started. You know, you didn't have to send your buses home or your crew yeah. home or anything. Well, still we would have, we would have, um, we would have gotten on our planes to to Australia and shown up to a two week quarantine. Oh man, yeah, that would have been rough. It would have been, it would have been like the real world, which <laughs> to meet world and their crew in in one house, like you know, and hilarity ensues. <laughs> oh man, not not good hilarity. That's not what anyone wants to go through. Well, yeah. hey, you're safe at home now in uh, Arizona. Uh, so, um, you know, it's always hard. I do these interviews all the time, hot podcasts all the time. But I am very, I'm a huge fan of your band. I know a lot about you, so it's always hard to kind of know where to start. Uh, so I think maybe just the beginning. Is that cool? Yeah, whatever you want to talk about. Man. Okay, cool. Yeah, awesome. Well. I haven't heard too much about your early years, you know. Um, I know you're from Arizona, and, and that's about all I really know. Um, what was it like, you know, growing up? What was your family like? Did you have brothers and sisters? Um, what was all that about? Yeah, um, I had one brother, and, um, you know, we grew up in, you know, straight-up middle-class kind of neighborhood. Um, my parents were always supportive of me doing music. From a really young age, I started playing piano in second grade. Oh yeah, um, and I switched to guitar later on that year, just because it seemed like um, that was also right around the time that I discovered MTV and Headbangers right. Ball. Right, and I was like, "Oh man, I want to play guitar." <laughs> you know, like seeing that on TV and and uh, just you know not really understanding anything about music, but it looks cool. So I want to do that. <laughs> and yeah, I, I just started doing that. I was really fortunate. I had instructors who early on were just about having fun with the, with the guitar. And that cool. was really great. That was really great because you need, you need to be having fun when you're getting over the physical awkwardness of, you know, make fretting notes Right and what you know it can be really frustrating. So it's important to to have it be fun. There's definitely some people out there that get a reward from hearing incremental progress happen. Yes, you know what I mean. Like like they're the the aha I'm doing it kind of feeling like pushes you forward to learn more or to try some harder stuff. Um, and I guess I'm kind of one of those people because I would play guitar. I would come home from school and just play, and I don't I don't even know what I would play, but. Um, you know, from 3 p.m. till about 7 right. or 8 or 9 every day just because just that was fun for me. 
Well, it's crazy. I mean, I, I was a guitar player too first, and my guitar teacher was the total opposite. There was no fun. Like my first lesson, I was only allowed to touch the high E string, and then the next week, I was allowed to play the the high B string. You know, B and E. And I remember learning the song Two String Rock. <laughs> it was like the first song I ever learned. So I never had any fun. But I actually was kind of glad that I learned that way because I learned, you know, I know all the notes on the neck and stuff. And a lot of people, their first lesson is like, hey, here's a here's a power chord. You know, now you can play like a bunch of Nirvana songs. Yeah, now you, you know. can do Smoke on the Water. Right, right yeah, exactly. So so I, I don't know. I mean, it's, that's cool that you had that approach. But obviously, you must know your theory and stuff for all the songs you've written. Well, you know, after a while when I got better and I was yeah. sort of over that and, uh, you know, I was starting to kind of like think and be able to hear what I wanted to play happen. Right. Then I, I was I was fortunate again to to have instructors that were way more about like you just filling you with the technical uh theory knowledge of it all so um you know i, I had i had the right teachers at the right time and i hmm. i i credit that 100 percent to you know my playing were your parents musicians at all my dad could play guitar and my mom could probably play piano a little bit oh yeah but they never they never really did anything like professional so with you know, you say you're watching Headbangers Ball and MTV and getting a guitar and I don't know what bands you were you were into, but obviously like you're known for, you know, call it emo, you know, movement or whatever, 90s emo. Um, you're known for that. And you're a big influencer, you know, for so many artists. How did that sort of happen? Like where, where, what bands really inspired you to kind of create, you know, the music that you made in the, let's just say the early Jimmy Eat World days? It was sort of all over the place, you know, because I think we were, um, I started playing guitar with our drummer, Zach, in seventh grade. (laughs) And uh, we started, it wasn't until high school, actually it wasn't until maybe like eighth grade or so that like bands started happening with people that could play. Right. Um, And it definitely wasn't cool back then, you know, (laughs) I mean, now it's like, you you have the School of Rock forming more competent bands than we were like right. way younger sure and um you have like whole disney shows dedicated to like high schools that are just about people and bands and it it really wasn't like that when when we were growing up it was like it was not cool and if you were interested in forming a band the people that were into the same kind of music you were was even smaller pool of people to draw from so um you definitely knew everybody that was that had the same record collection as you. Right. Um, it, across, across five high schools, you knew like the 20 people <laughs> that had the same record collection as you. And that's <laughs> kind of like, so, I mean, we were like, you know, like 17 to 19 kind of when the band got started for right. real. And it just sounded like our record collection at the time, which was pretty pretty diverse but also leaning toward the more aggressive stuff right because i think every every teenage boy probably has a phase where they want you know they don't even know what the feelings are they just are drawn to like the more aggressive stuff i mean some of that some of that really never burns off but but that's kind of like uh you know that was where we were at is the aggressive stuff the punk stuff um you know the, the the more melodic things were were hovering around in the background, for sure. But to play, 
it was all about going fast, going loud. Right. Well, that changed. <laughs> that changed for your band uh, in a big way. Yeah. You know, um, and I'm kind of wondering, I'm kind of trying to fill in the gaps there, you know, and like you talk about, okay, there's 20 people in your area in Arizona that know about, you know, let's call it uncool music, right? Um, not cool at the time, but there's some kind of scene, right? Like, was there a place to play? Were there other bands? Was like, were you, you know, corresponding with, with maybe people in California about how to get out there and play shows? Like, what was kind of going on at that time? Because there was that, you know, f- scene with all the Jade Tree bands and initial records and Doghouse. I mean, I guess that all came a little bit later, but it was still, go- you know, it was kind of happening. It was brewing. Yeah, I mean, for us, it was a little trickier to get across. It was still pretty regional, like you're, right. you know, Doghouse and and Jade Tree, and um, you know, like you could you could spend your whole scene as a your whole lifetime as a band in one of those kind of circles and never cross with the um, the Gravity people or Ebullition people or you know, <laughs> yeah, probably probably you know, never make your way to like. Um, you know, maximum rock and roll would know who you are, but, but <laughs> yeah. like, but, uh, heart attack might, you know, so it's like, it was still pretty fragmented. It wasn't as co it wasn't like, you know, the internet was not real. So it, it was pretty fragmented. It was pretty word of mouth. It was a lot of direct person to person. Hey, check this out. Right. Or, or you'd see a band opening for a band. It was like, you know, none of us could get into bars. So we would go early to every show and and check out all the opening acts. And that was a lot. That was a way that you broadened your your uh, your repertoire, your record collection, too. Um, I mean, getting off topic here a little bit, but but for us, it was it was really all about, um, you know, person to person networking making connections yeah you know bands that were doing things that you liked you you said you just made friends with them and you know tried to help each other out when you could we did a lot of split records yeah early on because that was like a great way that um you could do some you could first off do something cool with with other groups that were making music that you liked but also it would help out with your um you know, trying to tour, of course, because like for, for, for both people, like, cause you could help out, help out them when they were in your town and they would help out you and you were in their town and maybe you do some dates on the road together in support of the thing that you just put out together. No, so it was, it was really, really communal, really everyone helping out. I don't think anybody had designs on, on playing music as a career, but it was all just fun. Right, right. <laughs> it was all about fun and trying right. to trying to make trying to make enough money so you can, you know, make some more music. Totally, totally. And yeah, I mean, looking at all the splits you've done, like I remember some of the ones I just remember, like you know, back then it was so hard to get those records. Like I live, in, I'm from Canada too, so so it was like I'd have to get it shipped, and they wouldn't want to ship to Canada. But I remember like the Christy Front Drive split, and uh, I think there was one with Mineral, maybe Sensefield. Um, you know, I remember all those all those split records and, and I love that so much, but I was always confused because, you know, you guys ended up being on a major label. Uh, you were on Capitol for static prevails and for clarity. How did that happen? You know, I mean, that's, 
big. That's big time stuff, especially you know in the uh, um, mid '90s when the budgets are like crazy. You know, how, how did that all happen? It seems it seems like a much bigger deal than the reality was. Um, okay, I guess. I mean, it's it's hard to. I, I don't know. I mean, I only have our experience. I mean, I'm sure there's like, it, it was a crazy time. <laughs> it was like, a crazy like, time. Yeah, I mean, just throw the number out there. What was the recording budget for Clarity? Do you know? Do you remember? Oh, God. Probably $100,000 I mean, $100, at least, right? It was probably, it was probably like, we probably made it for about like 50 to 60. Okay. Yeah. But that's also because like, you were you were kind of working with your friend producer at that time too, like before Mark Trumbull. Yeah, know, and became, we also you know, a big was, deal. But yeah, yeah, and we also we also spent like nearly a month all in with mixing to make it too. So it was like a real record, sure. As far as as far as time goes. But but how did that happen? I mean, how did you get signed uh, originally to that deal? Being this, you know. Uh, Band underground band with you know they must have heard something in you that thought hey this can be played on the radio or or whatever you know it's hard to say exactly what the thinking was but um, what happened was so we're we're sort of chugging along with our way of doing things like um, you know trying to you know making friends with other bands that we liked and and um, my roommate at the time putting out records for us. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it involved just taking that to an, uh, the next logical small step. I was involved with a uh, completely ragtag production company that was trying to help out do uh, punk shows in the area. Um, and we listed ourselves in the maximum rock and roll book your own fucking life. Right. Which was a resource guide for, uh, you know, bands on tour that needed help. They could look at that and find an area and call it people that would help set up shows. Um, or you could look, you could list yourself as a band in there and maybe get some, uh, you know, again, you'd have like letters or phone calls come in of people trying to set up gigs in your area or, you know, it was yeah. just a resource guide for yeah, anyone like, trying to, it was like a book with Craigslist ads for bands, for punk bands in the eighties yeah. and nineties. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. Or, you know, there'd be like, there'd be like, you know, vegan restaurants that would list themselves in there to, right. so, which was actually pretty smart to anyway. And this is like a, like a, this is a periodical. This is something you'd have to buy like physically as an addendum, like a magazine. Yep. Um, so we listed ourselves in that, and um, you know, Christy Front Drive was on tour. They were trying to get to California because they had an opening show for Sen- for Sensefield <laughs> at right. like Troubadour or something, right? And they didn't know anybody, so they they called up our <laughs> our sorry excuse for a production company and uh, sent us some records. And of course, it was. Um, you know, their first LP, which is amazing. We instantly said, yeah, dude, like we'd love to set up a gig for you. And so they came, <laughs> it was horrible. It was a horrible gig that we set up for them. We were so, it was like, it was like six bands and, and no one was there. And it was like a, yeah. Um, you know, one of those, one of the, around that time there was, there was like a slew of art space, all ages, quasi legal kind of venues that, would be open for eight months and then get shut down. Right. 
and we put them up in a place with, like I said, six other bands in, in one of those destined to fail, um, you know, questionable who actually owns the place sort of thing. And while we were there, we pitched at them the idea of doing a split record with us. And without even hearing us, they said, yeah, man, cool. Because, <laughs> because you know, at that time, it was a, it was a big deal if someone was going to, like, put out a record for you. Like, you weren't picky about it. Right. I mean, it's, it, was, it was expensive, and, it's, you know, it still is expensive to manufacture seven inches. Yeah, um, and, and, like, everyone's kids, right? Like, you know, we're all, we're all young at the, that point, too, right? It's, like, still in high school, right? Or just out of high school, maybe? Yeah, it was the summer that I graduated from high school yeah. when all this was going down. And um, so without even hearing us, they agreed to do a split record with us. And they they keep on going to L.A. And when they're at their show with Sensefield, a scout for Capitol Records, I think he was there to check out Sensefield and just, you know, was impressed by Christy Front Drive struck up a conversation with them, asked them, you know, what other records they have out or might be putting out. And they said, well, we're doing a split record. We're doing the split record with an Arizona band called Jimmy Eat World. That they've never heard. Yeah. <laughs> and, a story. Yeah. Yeah. So um, the scout, his name is Lauren Israel. He was working for an A&R guy named Craig Aronson. And um, he hunted down our first seven inch through uh, a distro out of Tucson called Toxic Ranch. Which I think was part of a record shop. Uh, yeah, he heard it and and dug it, showed it to the A and R person he worked for, and then out of nowhere, we're doing a local gig, and an A and R person from Capitol Records is there. Wow! To check us out. Wow! And that was it. That's crazy. What a story. That was how. That's how we connected with them. So if if the. Lauren Israel, um, who I just Googled him because I was curious. He's, he's a guy that's done some things, I see. Um, signed a lot of bands. I mean, it seems like he got it. Like, he understood, if he understood, like, he was picking up a 7-inch and there was a split record and he's at a Sensefield show, they must have understood it. Because I, from what I understand, after you signed the deal, they were still allowing you to put out splits with other bands and stuff, which is, you know, a bit out, out of the ordinary. Yeah, I mean, they didn't... Capital... We we agreed to go through with it and, and work with them because, like I said before, no one else is really banging down the door to put out records for us. Right. And two, we thought, man, you know, r- really, we're going to say no? Like, this is going <laughs> to be funny. <laughs> this is going to be funny. At the, at the worst... At the worst, we end up with some funny stories about going to L.A. Right. <laughs> that was like our, you know, I mean, because why not? Um, but just because you do a deal with a label doesn't necessarily mean anything else really changes. I mean, Capitol Records and all the major labels then and now, really, like, they don't they didn't know what to do with us. They had yeah. no idea what to do with a band. They they knew exactly what to do with a group that was selling 30,000 records a week. They could drop the hammer on that. That's 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 their jam. Right. They had no idea what to do with a band that had between their, you know, handful of releases sold maybe 2,000 records. Yeah. <laughs> so like we were so far under the radar there that we we could just do whatever we wanted, and so so they didn't. No one. That's on my. That's my next question. Was like, was there control? You know, like you hear these major label horror stories where they're 
they're saying you send them, you know, demo after demo and they say no, 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 no. Where's the hit? Where's the hit? But it seems like you that wasn't happening. They were kind of letting you do what you want with like I guess with static yeah, prevails. And I mean, they, I don't know about clarity. I think that um Craig, who was our A and R person, I mean he definitely had some notes. He was definitely trying to steer steer the ship into into more of like uh, traditional songwriting shape of it all, right? Because we we were just you know we were just going, you know, when we were writing songs, it was like, oh, that part's cool. Okay, what do we do next? Oh, how about this? Okay, cool, great. Uh, that's a song then, right? Exactly. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's like we didn't we had no no one. We were just we were just sort of copying our record collection. We had no idea what we were doing as far as songwriting goes. Um, that was just something we we kind of came onto through the process of doing it. And um, you know, like I said, Craig was definitely trying to steer us more toward like what what you know traditional songwriting looked like. But it, he was never, you know, we never got shot down for an idea. They let us do. I mean, we like I said, we flew so low under the radar there yeah. that no one was. No one was coming at us asking for, and no one was. No one was really waiting for the next Jimmy World record to come out. So it's not like there was expectations, and it's not like well, they were I spending was. a bunch, a, a bunch of money. <laughs> but yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, but like I, I said, I know what you mean. Totally. You put you put all the people that were expecting a new Jimmy World record out, and it might have been five thousand people <laughs> by the time Clarity came out. Maybe you know, but so uh, you know, it just kind of. Um, they let us alone, and we had the the rare opportunity to actually develop and grow as a band and as you know creatively that's, and as people that's great I mean that's great I mean well, a big change happened you know between static prevails and clarity, which was you started singing uh way more um and pretty much you know you took on the lead singer duties I mean I think it was only blister was the only song that Tom sang on on that record. How did that shift happen uh, kind of abruptly and then, you know, continuing on for the rest of your career uh, with Tom, you know, jumping in for a few songs here and there, but you kind of taking over those those duties? I think I just got really into recording myself. I got really into into making, you know, cassette format, four track demos of, right. of things. And I think in part because I was trying to do as much as I could instrument instrument wise on those demos that um, it's all about your limitations, you know, and, right. and, and doing, doing the best thing that you can contribute with your limitations in mind. So I'm not a very good drummer, <laughs> but I want to, I want to have drums on this thing I'm trying to do myself. So I would simplify what I'm doing a lot. And that in turn would, you know, the other choices you make as far as instrumentation or parts, you know, you're responding to what you're hearing. So it just kind of ended up with a lot less aggression and a lot less loudness and a lot more texture. And, you know, I had melodies for everything. Right. So, you know, I, I would just show up and have a song mostly done. And we, we ended up recording more of those than things that that, that Tom had. Right. So you wrote it, you sang it and that's kind of how it happened. Uh, yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, so, so clarity, you know, being such a, it's, I mean, it's a classic now. I mean, people call clarity a perfect album. <laughs> I mean, you were very young when you made it. 
would you go back and change anything about it if you could? Uh, it's hard to say. You know, I think you you can't you can't beat yourself up about your past, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> that's always going to happen. You know, like how where do you draw the line on how far back you'd go and revise everything? And then you can't be too too naive to think that you wouldn't do the same thing with what you're doing right now, ten years from now. So you just have to. The only way the only way you can be at peace with yourself in that is just to be vigilant that what you're doing is your best work with what you know about writing and what you can physically do. Like, is this, is this the best thing you can do? Then you just got to let that go after that. Cause what, what, what are you going to do? Sure. When it came out, did you, how did you feel about it? Were you like, Holy shit, this, this album is just like, I've poured my all into this. I've, we've made this amazing, amazing record. Like what, what did it feel like when you first, you know, when it was all done? We were proud of it. I mean, we were really excited about it. We thought we thought we had um, really captured something that that we weren't we didn't know how to before. Because mm-hmm. um, like when we were making Static Prevails, like it was, I mean, us and Trombino, it was like it was pretty wacky to put a tambourine on something. Right. <laughs> you know, like that was, that was branching out like, whoa, man, what's that? <laughs> you know, that's, that's like cheating. <laughs> You're not. So, but with Claire, but with clarity, it was like, okay, forget that. Like we're, who knows if we're ever going to get a chance to record in a studio again. Right. So today we're, today we're going to rent timpani. Right. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. I mean, you, with a big budget like that, with a major label, you can, you get to do stuff like that. Uh, so, you know, you got dropped. Um, Clarity, despite now being looked at as a classic record, one of my favorite albums of all time, it didn't work out. It wasn't commercially successful. Capital drops you. Um, what happened next? I mean, I know you, you made Bleed American yourself with Trombino. You wrote that song and you, and you put it out and you managed to get another deal. What were those years like? Like with everything up in the air, you know, being kind of like a failed major label band. Well, we didn't. I, I, I totally understand how that looks from outside because, like, you read it on paper and it seems like, oh man, how did you guys continue? You right. must have been crushed. Right. But it it really wasn't like that. Um, I mean, nobody. The only people at Capital that really. Uh, like got what we were trying to do and were championing us were the people like college, the college radio department. Um, and you know, like a, a spattering of people across different departments, but none of them really had the, the clout to say, okay, we're going to break this band. Right. You know, like we're going to do everything. You know, we, we didn't really have that there. And, um, they went through a lot of changes with the, you know, the president left, Sure. Our A and R person, our A and R person left. So it was like nobody that had any connection to us was left, and um, you know they they like I said we, we we didn't sell that many records. So it was like, why are we keeping this, these people here? Yeah, totally. For, from our perspective, though, things were just going up and up and up because oh yeah, you know we we would come to town and there'd be like a little bit more people or we would get offered a, a little bit bigger of an opening slot with somebody else. 
and uh, you know we worked out going to Europe for the first time on our own. It it I mean from our perspective like things were cooking man like the the business side of it all was just totally in the background. Hmm. Yeah, like we we had we had the material for bleed bleed American written and you know we weren't going to stop. Yeah, it, it was really weird at the time because I I think a lot of people thought your band broke up. Because there was, you know, some time between and, you know, I don't know. I, I remember hearing Bleed American, the song Bleed American on the radio for the first time um, before the album had come out. And I remember hearing hearing the song and being like, damn, these guys are like pissed now. Like, I thought it was like so heavy, you know, that song. Um, it, it, and I, I don't know. It was just, it was interesting that that, that that was the approach you guys went at that time. And it felt like there was a, some kind of story like it was like fuck the major label we're playing the music we wanted you know which of course is completely false but it's i'm sure a lot of people thought that too if if i did yeah maybe i think like the 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 material on bleed american just kind of formed from us playing as a band live so much right, right. in between clarity and bleed american that like the songs were definitely more guitar weighted yeah. Definitely simpler in in what was happening, um, you know, instrumentation wise. There wasn't really a huge reliance on the studio itself to to make mood. It was sure. it was definitely more rock. Um, totally. Well, I, I remember buying the record "Bleed American" the day it came out, and you know, at that time. I'd heard the song, the one song on the radio, but you know, you don't really know what a record is yet. You know, um, the old days, and I remember hearing the middle, and thinking what you said, like it's very straightforward. It didn't seem like a song that could be on Clarity. You know, it didn't seem like it had that same vibe. But right away, the, even the first time I listened to that song, I remember hearing something in it that I knew was special. D- did you feel that way about that song too? Did you know there was something there? I liked it, but I didn't think I didn't think it would be um uh, that it would kind of uh have the legs it did. Right. I think there's there's definitely <laughs> there's does. something there's something yeah, there's it still does. It's pretty crazy. There's something about songs that come together easily that that for some reason in your head because you didn't suffer over creating it, it's not worth as much. Right. Like like middle middle was something that came together in like an afternoon for me that it was just done, you know? Yeah. It's like the kind of song it is, doesn't really require you to overthink it because that starts taking away from what's cool about it. But there were definitely other songs that, that took more puzzle solving. Sure. To, to, to really figure out like how to just how, how it could be effective for the type of song it is. But Middle wasn't like that. Middle was very, it just happened. Yeah, it's it was funny. easy. So in my head, I'm not attributing that much. I'm not expecting too much from it. You know, it's cool. Um, you know, we need another song on the record. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, just had, another I, song on the record. That's very yeah, funny. I mean, I don't know. I didn't think it would be like the blow, the, the, the single for right. the record. No, well, I, I kind of didn't either when I heard, when I went through the record. And then for some reason, when I, when I played the record over and over again, when the record was done, and like there's so many great songs on that record, you know, like Cautioners is one of my favorite songs, and all these just these these big choruses. But for some reason, I was like, 
why is that like dinky song in my head? Why is that the one that I'm is like in the back of my head playing? And then of course, you know, after that it became a single and it was, you know, everywhere. But you know, it it is it is interesting how that how that happens with songwriting and I think I remember Billy Corgan saying that he always hated today because he wrote it in 5 minutes. You know, it, it's just, you know, it didn't mean anything to him. And I, I love that you're, you actually hit the nail on the head with that. Yeah. If you don't, it, it's, it, it's tricky. Like you can, you can slave over something. You can struggle with it. It can take you five years to finish. But when, you know, a listener sits down with it, they're just, they're not interested in any of that. They're, right. they're just going to come to it. They're, they're going to, they're going to. What's going to exist is what they are going to bring to it, not necessarily all that you put into it. Totally. And and that's the same with me on how I listen to music, and it shouldn't be any different from yeah. how I expect someone to listen to, you know, something I'm putting out. Yeah. So so with the success of that record and, and that song, did you ever have any interaction with Capital afterwards? I mean, like... That's kind of the ultimate fuck you to be like, oh yeah, you're gonna drop us. We're just gonna go do this song now. Like that's pretty, it was sort of pretty funny. Yeah, it was it was kind of funny. Like so, when we made Bleed American, when after we had mixed it, but before we had um si- signed with anybody, we were we were kind of shopping it around with different labels. And Capital actually, you know, were interested in having a meeting with us, right? Which we, we and we told them like yeah we we'll meet with you but before that happens we need like our our uh, <laughs> our outstanding debt wiped clean and our master <laughs> and our masters back. <laughs> <laughs> That's very funny. Uh, so we didn't. So we never met with them. <laughs> so you know another thing about your band is you have kind of a squeaky clean image. You know, like I had can't remember anything controversial you know you ever come up with you guys i remember your drummer making some off color remarks about um third eye blind that was like the only time i can remember there ever being anything like that and you know you seem so down to earth you're not rock star-ish you kind of blend into a crowd pretty well like you don't seem like a typical lead singer overconfident brash loudest voice in the room like, where does that all come from? I mean, is that just the way that you guys were kind of brought up in the scene you're from? Yeah, I mean, maybe that that definitely has something to do with it. I, I I would I could attribute that to our you know formative years playing in bands and growing up. I think early on we sort of came to the realization that no matter how many people you think care, more don't. <laughs> yeah, and never will. So. What are you freaking out about? You know, like especially especially in the scene here, it it, it it's sort of a double edged sword. No one cares, so you can do whatever you want here. But then again, if you're doing something you really like, no one cares. So <laughs> it's really difficult to rally the critical support you need to break out of the scene here. So I think everybody that we were, everyone around us and everyone that was helping us out were doing it just because they loved it. You know, that was their life. They loved music. They loved supporting it. They loved playing it. They loved facilitating it in any way they could, you know, 
with no hope of, you know, financial reimbursement or right or notoriety or anything. And that was kind of, you know, how we learned how that this 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 is. There's just so much that you can't control. There's just so much that doesn't matter at all that will take you out of the game that you could get lost in and um you know, none of that was interesting to us. There you go. Plus it's like it's like you know, there's you know, there's definitely like self-confidence issues for sure that that I've always struggled with. So the idea of strapping on a persona and walking on stage and and you know, channeling David Lee Roth was probably not going to happen. Right, right. Right. No, well, I I appreciate it that you just it seems like you're you go up there and you do your thing and you're honest about it, you know, and you're not trying to be something you're not. And that's something I always I've always been drawn to. You know about your band, so I mean you're yeah. you're self aware to realize like that. I mean, if you were covered in tattoos and you had long hair and stuff, I mean, I don't know. Does that make you more appealing? I don't know, right? Yeah, those are things that don't. I mean, why are you doing that? Right. What are you doing it for? Is, is are you doing that because that's you? Or are you doing that to win the approval of somebody else? Because it's not gonna that that won't matter. Even if you know, even if you are chasing that, once you get it. Then what? You're done? <laughs> no. <laughs> you're you're going to you're going to go, I mean, if that's what you're basing your sense of self-worth on, the first thing you'll do is turn around and try to get another hit of that by doing something more extreme or, you know, doing something hey, look at me in some way. You know, and that 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 whole cycle just leads to complete unsustainability. <laughs> and um Totally, man. You know, I mean, uh, it's it's hurt us in some ways for sure cuz you know people want stars you know there's definitely people that have charisma and have a look and have uh a, a outspokenness right of course and well, people and people respond to that i have a question here from a fan and this kind of leads into this well so i'm going to ask it uh his name is jeremy uh, he asks, uh, you guys have somehow maintained for nearly two decades being celebrated both in the indie scene and the mainstream world. Only a handful of bands can really claim that. Radiohead comes to mind. What do you think it is about your writing and your approach to being a band that keeps you so deeply entrenched in the hearts of such an array of music fans? Well, that's a really nice thing to say. Thank you, Jeremy. He should be doing the interview. He's good. He's good. Yeah, it's a good question. I think it goes. I think it goes back to what we were just talking about. You know, I'm under no illusion that um, even our biggest fan is going to love everything we do. So it's it's just like we have to feel good about what we're doing. You know, it's it's if we're not honest about what is exciting and rewarding for us to play and create, then you know no how how should we expect anybody else to to connect with it right. i think that i think that um if you're honest about that then the right people will find it not everyone will, not everyone will 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 find it but you know the right people will and i i just think listeners respect that you know there's nothing more of a turn off than someone trying to chase your approval so we just we just try to put out the things that we are proud of, and you know 
if you want to come along. If you find something in it that you can connect with, then that's that's great. There you go. There you go. I love it. Um, a quick a quick story. So I have a story to tell you, and I don't know if you remember this. This is a very long time ago. This was like 2011. So I'm sitting on my tour bus. We have a day off in Boise, Idaho. So I'm just sitting on the bus. All of a sudden, a couple like dudes walk on that I don't know. So I, I'm alone. I think I'm alone in the bus. Maybe another person was there. I stand up and I look. I'm like, uh, hi, can I help you? <laughs> and the three guys are like looking at me like, what the hell are you doing? So I'm like, what's going on? And then I see you and I say, Jim? And then Tom is there too. And I'm like, uh, I think you guys are on the wrong bus. <laughs> Do you remember this? That was in 2011? I think so. You guys were playing in Boise. And after, after we laughed about it, and um, <laughs> we laughed about it and was like, you know, because our buses were exactly the same color. You know, it was right. one of those H3 buses that, with the red and yellow kind of swirl on the side. And you guys were playing in Boise at the, whatever, Big Easy, or I think it's called the Knitting Factory now. And right. we laughed about it, and then I said, hey, can I get uh, Shane plus 12 on the guest list tonight? <laughs> and you guys did it, and we came to your show, and it was awesome. But, That's funny. But, yeah, yeah. I, I, did, I was always wondering if you, if you remembered that, because it was, it was kind of a funny moment. I was, I was still drinking back then, so I probably don't remember it. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was yeah, you, Tom, and, and like a, I think a crew guy. Um, but, yeah, I mean, but, that happens all the time. <laughs> it's kind of funny. You guys are like, no, 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 like that's... You know, like we have the same bus and it was parked here because like your your bus got moved or something. But uh, but yeah, it was it was great. Thank you again for the for the guest list spots. Oh yeah, no problem. We didn't we didn't know very many people in Boise at the time. So <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone really does. But I love Boise, man. Shout out to Boise, oh, it's, underrated city. Yeah, man. The Neuralux, it's a great it's a great spot. Love it. It's funny after actually after your show. Um, there was a like an underground local ska show happening, uh, and we like danced our asses off, and it was like the best night, maybe like best day off I've maybe ever had, watching your band and then going to a ska show after it was it was epic. That's 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 pretty amazing. Yes, yes, thank you very much, uh, dude. I got a couple one more question here from a fan, uh, and I'll let you go. Uh, this is Neil. He asks, uh, "What is the secret to being one of, if not the best sounding live band?" Which I do agree with. He also asks if you miss the Diamondbacks and if there'll be any more solo stuff coming up for you. Um, solo stuff, you never can tell. Diamondbacks, I miss them. Yeah, I miss going to games. Yeah. It's, it's really nice. It's fun. Mellow. What was the first part of that? I was trying to go be tricky and answer <laughs> that in reverse order. <laughs> what is the secret to being one of, if not the yeah. best sounding live band? Uh, I, would, I, would, I, would, I would dispute that one of the best. But, you know, I don't know. We just, we work hard. Awesome. We try to, we set a, we set a high standard for ourselves and we, um, you know, do everything we can to meet that. You guys do anything like special with, you know, your guitar sounds and stuff? Cause I, I always think your guitar sounds sound unbelievable. For maybe six years, we've been using, um, fractal audio systems for, for all of our guitars. Okay. Um, so <laughs> That's probably another hour conversation. <laughs> well, um, 
is that what is that like? Is that like a um, direct signal, like a Kemper kind of thing? Like it's not a real amp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fractals is a. Oh, they make the Axe effects, Kemper. right? They make the Axe effects, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. So we, we're using the Axe effects threes. That makes me sad as like a purist. I want to hear about the like, you know, nineteen sixties Fender Twin that like someone hot rotted that like you could only you know like you've had your whole life or something. I wanted I wanted yeah, that story, I mean, but uh, but you're giving me the real a, shit. I have a couple of pieces like that that I used to bring on the road, but I just I just really I value stuff that works <laughs> and I value like, you know, simplicity. Totally. Like um I did the very uncool thing of ditching all my effect pedals for like a rack mount thing with a MIDI moose to control it just yep. cuz I I I didn't want to do the river dance anymore or <laughs> the the mid show the mid-show troubleshooting. Okay, what cable's out? I know. Yeah, which of the yeah. tiny little cables that connect the pedals? Like, which one of those yeah. doesn't work today? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. does this one work? So, does this one work? You know, like I, I spent, I spent enough time just ditching my pedal board entirely and going right into the amp that I figured, like, I just get rid of it. Try to make things streamlined as possible. Yeah. Yeah. There it is. Well, there's there's part of the secret uh, to your question. Neil. So um, I'll let you go, man, but anything else to tell the people first? I know you do have some tour dates uh, coming up June in Europe. We'll see if hopefully, you know, that happens. Yeah. Yeah. I think everything got canceled or postponed slash rescheduled up until the middle of June. And I think right now we're still sort of um, waiting and the promoters for those festivals are still sort of waiting to see um, what's going to happen because you're not going to cancel. I mean, you're not going to reschedule end of summer festivals for, for when I know. So they're either just going to get canceled or they're going to happen. And at this point it's still a little bit, they have some cushioning to make a call definitively one way or the other. So I think they're just waiting, but if it does get canceled or rescheduled, we'll, we'll be posting in it. Our website, Jimmy as soon go. as we have any kind of info yeah. for that. Yeah, well, hey, good luck with that, man. We're all in the same boat here, and I just, man, I just hope we, if we can all just stay inside for 14 days, it'll be gone, right? That's the science, right? I mean, it's I, part of it. I wish it was that simple, but, uh, yeah. I know. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, we'll see, man. What a, it's crazy times. <laughs> we'll see, man. So I want to play, uh, play a Jimmy World song for the people. Do you have... Maybe a favorite deep cut um, through all all your records. Maybe a song that never got, you know, a lot of a lot of love, but you really like. Oh man, it's tough to say. I think uh, we can go with the. Uh, I don't know. Let's go with "You Are Free" from Integrity Blues. All right, "You Are Free." Here it is on Lead Singer Syndrome. Thank you, Jim. Thanks. Thanks for having me. You are free as 
So there is music from Jimmy Eat World, and you are free. That was awesome, huh? Man, um, I want to thank Jim again so much for taking the time to speak with me. And I love just hearing about the old days, man. And, and Clarity still is maybe my favorite record ever. I mean, it's in like the top three. I listen to it all the time. So it was really, really awesome to get that again. Hey, um, hit the subscribe button if you don't mind right now, whatever you're listening to this on, because we've got some great episodes coming up. Uh, turns out that when people are bored at home, they really want to do podcasts. So we have so many great episodes coming. Yes, you don't want to miss them. Trust me. It is really, really, really great. Thank you again so much for tuning in. You know, it really does mean a lot. It warms my heart when I look at, you know, statistics and I see that people are listening from, you know, like a hundred and something countries and all that stuff is so rad. So thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this. And I'm going to leave you with one of my favorite Jimmy Eat World songs, an old one, a song that I've covered a lot. There's something magical about this song. I don't know what it is. It's simple. Maybe it's because it's the first Jimmy Eat World song I ever heard. But anyway, here is... Lucky Denver Mint on Lead Singer Syndrome. Peace and love. We'll see you next time.